Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode 17. My next guest is Deb Maisner. She's the founder of the Alcohol Tipping Point, a place to find free resources, tools, and tips to help people change their drinking. Deb runs 30-day dry months where she helps people practice not drinking. She's a registered nurse, certified health and wellness coach, smart recovery facilitator, and an alcohol-free badass. Hi, Deb. Thank you for being here. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be back in the studio, downtown Boise, where I started. I love it. I think it's great. It's nice to have... uh, have you here in real time. So thank you. So let's just get started. I'm ready. What was life like before being alcohol free? Okay. Life was like, let me think back. (laughs) (laughs) Let's see. So I, I would describe myself as like a gray area drinker, like Mm -hmm. super high functioning. I had young kids. I was working. I was going to the gym. I was volunteering, you know, like things on the outside were fine. Um, but I, I always knew like I had, I had some issues with drinking, right? All the, you know, I started way back in junior high. Um, from the moment I started, I was just like, I really love drinking and I considered myself a lush And I was kind of reflecting back on it and just, you know, as you're reflecting back and putting pieces together, I remember taking a psychology class in high school. I I went to Moscow High School, and so we were near University of Idaho, so we were able to take college classes our Mm -hmm. senior year. And I took um, a psychology class and I took an addiction class. And I remember I wrote a paper on is alcoholism, that's what it was called back then, because I'm old. (laughs) But is alcoholism a disease or not? And and using like the old Jelinek theory of disease and all of that. And I honestly can't remember what I ended up deciding. But even back then, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm interested in this. I'm interested in myself. I was always looking like, do I have a problem? Am mm-hmm. I an alcoholic? Like, is that me? And then, you know, not fitting, feeling like I fit that criteria. Sure. And so then, like drinking all throughout college, U- University of Idaho is like a big party school. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and I used to brag about it. I'm like, I learned how to drink in Moscow and growing up and going to U of I and sure. doing keg stands and all that. Um, and then, you know, moving to Boise, Idaho, and then just being like, okay, I'm going to take a break. I'm going to do like these dry months. And because I was able to do that, I was like, I'm fine, you know? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah. And also, everyone around me was drinking. That was just kind of the culture that I grew up in. But, you know, I I would purposely surround myself with other drinkers, too. Mm. So for me, having a bottle of wine a night was kind of the norm for a lot of people. Although now I'm like, that's really not normal, right? Mm. (laughs) 
So I, it's, it's just interesting thinking about life before. Um, I, I just would say it was, I just kind of had this low grade feeling shitty, feeling hungover, um, trying to rein it in, trying to find that magic pill of moderation and being a quote unquote normal drinker and never finding it. And then just feeling really alone, really alone. Like I just felt like a, a, it, it didn't resonate with me and inpatient rehab. I'm like, well, I don't need that. Like I'm, I'm still going to my job and picking up my kids and being like, responsible, all of that. Yeah, all of that. And so it just kept me stuck. Um, so so life before with drinking was some fun times with drinking, right? But also just really feeling alone, feeling full of shame, and just feeling like I was broken and there was something wrong with me. Um, so that was life before. And what helps you stay alcohol-free? Okay, so now that I am sober, I would say, I, I think the whole process that I went through to change my drinking really helps me stay alcohol-free because I I had to go through it like you go through the stages of grief, oh. right? Oh. And so I consider it like a relationship with alcohol. Like at mm-hmm. first... It was my buddy, and it was fun, and I, I got a lot out of it, a lot of joy, right? And then I realized, like, oh, this is a toxic relationship, and I need to to break up. Or let's take a break. We would take lots of breaks. <laughs> but but just like the stages of grief, that's what I went through. You know, I went through de- denial. Like, I was like, I don't have a pro- I can't have a problem. But I'm very functioning. Um, and then I went through bargaining and bargaining for me was like, okay, I'm going to make rules around it. I'm going to moderate. I'm going to, um, take breaks. I'm going to, you know, just like, I I can do this. We can work on this. We can have an okay relationship. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I, I had sadness and really like feeling alone and feeling left out and like, why, why is this, why can't I drink like other people, you know, and just sadness, like, I'm missing out and how come everyone else can do this and I can't just so going through that process and then going through anger Mm -hmm. and I really um when I was changing my drinking I I I did finally find where I could fit in kind of in this gray area sober curious world where it was about just changing your views about alcohol and instead of blaming the person it was put it all on alcohol so it's so then like it became anger at alcohol like this is a fucking poison Mm -hmm. and -hmm. it makes you feel shitty it's shit for your health Mm -hmm. um so just recognizing that and feeling anger like god i've been duped right i've been Mm -hmm. gaslit we all have society has Um, which was actually a very helpful stage to go through because Mm -hmm. it took a lot of the shame away from me. Um, But then I got to acceptance. And for acceptance for me was accepting like, yes, alcohol is shit. Mm -hmm. Yes, I have a problem. It's my shit and it's my thing and it's my responsibility. So I had to like marry those two concepts. And then I could come to a place where I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm just done. 
Um, and then find meaning. So that that extra stage of grief that got added, mm-hmm. um, finding meaning from it all. And I find extreme meaning in what I'm doing now and helping other people change their relationship to alcohol. And um, just I and getting rid of the desire to drink. Right. It just, it's not like white knuckling it anymore. It's just like, yeah, we're divorced. That was a shitty relationship. I learned a lot from it, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. now we're divorced, and now I feel like I can help other people go through that process too. That's been. I really like how you put that model in this relationship. So you're divorced from alcohol, and how does the desire to not have that relationship? How do you? How did you actually get to the desire to say fuck that? Not only are we over, how do you take away the desire? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, that's what I think is part of the process of going through the stages of change and going through the grieving process. Um, but I think learning more about alcohol, mm-hmm. I think educating yourself to really what it is and how it affects your body, and then understanding, like. Okay, this is how what happens with depression and anxiety when you drink. Okay, this is how it increases your risk of cancer. This is how it increases heart disease. This is what it does to your liver. Because I think for me, I mean, I'm a nurse. You are. <laughs> <laughs> and I was in denial. I mean, I think everyone was, and we preached moderation in sure. the medical community. And so I was all along with it. And I mean... My, Except for for me, I'm like, is a bottle of wine a night or more moderation? (laughs) No. One bottle versus two moderation? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I really felt like educating myself about what alcohol really was really took um, the desire away from it. It was like, why would I want to drink that? Because it's shit, right? And so that was really helpful for getting rid of that desire. Um, And so just kind of changing your beliefs around alcohol as well. Like, okay, does it, does it really relax me? And then learning like maybe in the moment it relaxes you, but in the long term, you know, it's also a stimulant and it's also going to amp up your anxiety. And so just kind of flipping the script on a lot of the views that I previously had about alcohol really helps get rid of the desire. Right, because you came from normalizing and choosing to yeah. be in there to then realizing based on just facts, science, as a nurse, the physiology, the chemistry, the impacts and the symptoms of extensive chronic use scared the shit out of you, it sounds like, or at least gave you like a jarring reality, it sounds like, like, wow, that's fucked. Yeah. For sure. Why would I want to do that? Yeah. And so how would you describe that relationship with alcohol today? Oh, I like that question. Okay, so now I would say meh. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Not fuck that, but meh. Like, Well, it's become more neutral. Uh So it was where I was really angry at it. Sure. Um, It was really charged. Everything about it and the situations that people were in around it 
really emotional and charged. And now that charge is neutral, um, which is fantastic, right? That's how you want to feel. Just kind of, meh, I could take it or leave. Like I would be okay if you all were drinking (laughs) at 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, it's noon somewhere. (laughs) But Um, you know what I mean? Like it just became, it just, um, it doesn't have the effect that it did before. Because you had to go through all those stages of, of loss and then get angry about it. And now it sounds like you're empowered to choose. Mm-hmm. You have the desire to not want to do it is stronger than, like, how would you describe a craving? When was the last time you had one of those? Well, I'm not going to say that I, like, don't have cravings sure. or I'm not sometimes, like, I could really use a drink right now. Absolutely. Sure. Um, but I, I can allow myself to feel that way. I, th- I think what removing alcohol for me really was a, a, a way for me to then be able to feel all my feelings. Well, that can be terrifying. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know? Uh, why would people want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> right? In our work, we know that a lot of people don't want to feel oh. all of that. It is gnarly. Mm-hmm. But... But being alcohol-free allows you the permission to do so. So why would you, what helps you say it's okay to do that for yourself? I think now perspective, I think practice. I, I, you know, my big thing is I help people practice not drinking because it, it's a skill and you're learning other new skills. So you're learning other new skills like, okay, instead of feeling anxious and drinking at it, how can I allow that uncomfortable feeling without numbing it or escaping from it? And so that for me has been a skill to learn. So embracing the suck in oh, some yeah, ways. Oh yeah, right? you said that. Yeah. <laughs> right? So and knowing that you're not going to die. Yes. Right. Like, mhm. Because I think a lot of people that you and I have worked with, you know, similarly are so afraid to be uncomfortable. Right. Isn't isn't using and drinking to get relief because it's worked. It worked really effectively until it didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. And so let's talk about practicing not drinking because you now um, have what's called alcohol tipping point. Tell me about how that came about. Alcohol tipping point. Well, I I knew. So I, I've been a nurse for like eight 19 years now and I've been a a health coach for seven years and so I I knew always that I wanted to bring that to helping other people in some way I also have my degree in psychology and originally like way back in the day I was like I want to be a counselor but Mm -hmm. then I was like okay I'm gonna do nursing and then health coaching came about and I'm like okay that's like a combo right um so I looked up to people who had changed their relationship with alcohol and were helping other people. And I was like, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I want to do that because I don't want anyone else to feel as stuck and alone as I did. And so at first I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm just gonna make a website and I'm going to compile resources. And then um, Speak Studios opened up. Woo-hoo. Shout out to Speak, or now it's SB That's Studios right. Right. for Boise. Go Boise! Um, 
And they had an opportunity to do a podcast. And I love podcasts. I didn't want to do it myself. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone wants to listen to one. Yeah, I would love to listen to one. But they had like a great deal when they opened. And so I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a po- I'm going to put myself out there because once you like get sober and give up, you know, that was so that's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life mm-hmm. is quit drinking hands down. Um, but with that has come confidence. And I'm, I'm like, sure. oh, if I can fucking quit drinking, right? I can do a podcast. <laughs> right. That's I'm a walk I can, in the park. <laughs> I can put myself out there. Um, so that's what I started doing. I started putting myself out there, and then I I have my website. I do Instagram and start to my Instagram. My daughter, my thirteen year old's like, "Hey, mom, you are so cringy," and I'm like, "That's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna bring humor to it." You're so cringy. I'm gonna cringe if I'm making a thirteen year old cringe. Then I'm like, "My job is done. <laughs> well done." <laughs> Anyway, so then I um, decided, like, oh, you know what? It was dry July. Uh, was it last year, 2021? I'm like, oh, you know what would be fun? I'm going to do a dry group. And so that's how I started the alcohol holiday. Mm-hmm. And I call it an alcohol holiday because I think that there is so much joy in giving up drinking there's so much joy on the other side of it you know you talked about people really being scared like what will my life be like without alcohol and i found it's it's fucking amazing right so i call an alcohol a day because it's it's not about what you're depriving yourself of it's like it's a gift to you and it's what you're giving yourself and how much better your life can be um so i started that and then i started doing some coaching and I'm still working as a nurse, <laughs> still doing that. Um, but yeah, that's how it came about. And how did the name come about? Oh, alcohol tipping point. So I, during the pandemic, as I was puzzling, <laughs> getting out my little jigsaw puzzles, uh, listening to audiobooks, I got into a Malcolm Gladwell uh, phase. Mm-hmm. And Malcolm Gladwell wrote The Tipping Point. And so he was talking about, like, everything has a tipping point. Mm. I mean, even the pandemic had a tipping point. Right. Um, so I just thought, wow, that perfectly describes my journey with alcohol and a lot of other people's where it just got to the point where it was taking more than it was giving. Um, but also the tipping point can go the other way where you're you're giving up alcohol and, and you're all of a sudden like okay now I'm getting more out of being alcohol free than drinking Mm -hmm. so yeah that's where alcohol tipping point came from and then it the abbreviations ATP and so shout out to science again (laughs) like ATP is um I can't even remember what it stands for something long and scientific Mm -hmm. but it's um energy basically it's the energy for your cells and so I was just like okay wow let's roll that's fucking cool. Tell me, talk, walk me through a little bit about these sober months and alcohol days. Like, who is this for, and how how do you help them through, like deciding to like do that? Like, yeah, curious, sober curious is this movement that's been around for a bit, you know. And alcohol days for you, you're helping people kind of figure out how that path looks like. So what would what does that 
do? How does that happen for someone? Well, I, I would say it'd be for anyone who's curious, like for anyone who is like, what would my life be like without drinking? And also, uh, maybe I'm not ready to divorce it. <laughs> maybe, Completely right. Right? We're, I just need a break. But I, I, I've been trying to take breaks and I get like a couple days in or I just never get through the whole month or I just and then I give up. And then so I just wanted to create like a safe space <laughs> um, to have some tools and resources to practice not drinking. And you don't have to be perfect, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So what does practice not drinking look like? Give me an example of that. Practice not drink. Well, like, for example, I'm going to practice not drinking today. I mean, I still, like, use, like, okay, just for today, I'm not going to drink. Right. So practicing not drinking looks like what are other ways I can manage my cravings? Can I incorporate some mindfulness? Okay, what, how, you know... What should I do? What should I know about sleep and drinking? And then what are some other ways I can help manage my sleep? And then I, I talk a lot about food. I mean, not extensively in the 30 days, but so for these 30 days, you get content every day. Mm -hmm. And it will talk about how alcohol affects your liver. Um, it will talk about how it affects your sleep, how it affects depression and anxiety. And so going back to when you were asking, like, well, how did you get rid of the desire and the education component? Like, OK, I want to give you some facts about alcohol. Mm -hmm. And then I also want to give you some of the tools to practice not drinking. So how can you write out a craving? How can you sit with uncomfortable feelings? Right, what are some right. ways you can do that? And so some of that might be the mindfulness, the deep breathing, um, those kinds of things. And then a lot of it is a lot of thought work uh, because we do get stuck in these like shame spirals sure. and, and just feeling um, like we're a bad person. And so I really like to separate. I like to say data, not drama a lot. Mm -hmm. I, oh, would, I love that. I wish I had come up with it, but <laughs> I heard it from Primal Potential podcast. Uh -huh. And basically, it's like, how can we take the drama away from the data? Like talking about how do you feel about alcohol right now? It's meh. Like, mm -hmm. so to me, data, not drama means like, OK, I'm going to be really scientific about this and sure. just be like, to, you know, if I drank last night, I'm just going to be really scientific about it. And I'm just going to be like, okay, I consumed one bottle, 750 milliliters of ethanol containing liquid. And that's it, period. The drama that we add to everything is, are the thoughts about it, right? And they're Feelings, not, right. yeah, yes. and they're not, they're not necessarily, they're not facts. So mm -hmm. just getting, and, and it's just a different way of thinking about things, but it's just so that you get out of that shame spiral and and don't tie in all the, okay, I drank last night. I said I wasn't going to drink. I, I must have a problem. I'm a terrible person. Oh, my God, what's going on? I'm never going to quit. I'm broken. Like, that's the drama. <laughs> so So those are just some of the things we do in the group. And then we have... Uh, weekly meetings twice a week and we have like a group feed and it's just it's wow. all private mm -hmm. um, so it's it's just like a nice 
way, nice safe way to take a break from drinking. And I think that's great because on your website, there's also different ways of of making these really tasty drinks that are non-alcoholic. Oh yeah, tell Mocktails. me about that. <laughs> tell me about mocktails. And 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 then I have a follow-up question about that. Okay. So, I found well, one of the things I like to do when anyone's changing any behavior is how can you make it more fun? Right? right? And so mocktails to me are a way to make it more fun. Uh, but also what I've found and especially changing my drinking is it was it was a habit it was a ritual and so if mm -hmm. you can do the same things you always did like okay I'm gonna get home from work and instead of pouring myself a glass of wine I'm gonna make a mocktail or I'm gonna drink an NA beer or whatever mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you're just replacing the booze with something else uh, which can be really effective when you're when you're changing behavior and so mocktails are just, they're just fun, alcohol-free drinks, and you can experiment with them. And I think, I mean, it could be really fun, too, right? Um, so there's, there's this debate a little bit that mocktails could be triggering. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think if it's trigger, and, and I, I totally, one of, the, one of my philosophies is I'm never going to tell you what to do. Sure. I'm going to present you with all these choices and options and mm -hmm. you do what's right for you. And um, so if that is triggering for you, you don't have to do it. Mm -hmm. It just it's an option. Right. And, and same with the N.A. beer. For me personally, I found it really helpful and not triggering. Sure. Uh -huh. But I do think that some people do try find them triggering and that's OK, too. Sure. So I think the biggest takeaway right now is that you can actually have a choice, mm. right? Um, and making these choices, whenever you're stopping something, it feels like you're giving up something, right? So there's always this push and pull in some ways, like I'm gonna miss out like you were saying earlier on, you know, I'm gonna miss out socially. How do I, how do I, if I'm doing this dry month, and I'm being social, how can I protect myself? What would you say to that? Well, I, th I think, again, that's what's helpful for you. Right. So for some people, maybe don't, maybe you're not gonna go to those events. Mm -hmm. And then for other people, maybe you're gonna go and you're gonna rock a red solo cup and you're gonna put mm -hmm. whatever you want in it, mm -hmm. but not alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I think it, depends on your situation and how comfortable you feel. Sure, sure. And there's different levels of addiction in yes. some ways, right? And so how, how would you talk about that with someone who is considering, if they're a binge drinker and they're like, I'm listening to this and maybe I could drink less, what would you say to someone about that? Well, I always have to put my nursing hat on right, and, and just right. be like, okay, if you have a, if you are physically dependent to, al to alcohol, there is real danger in withdrawal. You know, it is the only substance that you, you death could be a result of withdrawing, as, as you know. Absolutely. Like, same, like heroin, yeah, you're going to feel like shit and you're going to feel like you want to die. But you don't. <laughs> yeah. And so there is that risk. Um, so consult with your doctor if, if you need to. Um, but I think if you're a binge drinker and 
you want to try it, then I I welcome anyone who wants to change their drinking. Like I liked when you were on my show and you were like, what would you say to someone who is wanting to change their drinking? You said, good for you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think there's always different shades of gray. Like you said, there's, there's gray drinking. And I, I love the idea and what you're doing about what kind of relationship do you want with alcohol? And understanding your why mm-hmm. and data, not drama. I love that. I think that's super smart because you're drinking a carcinogen. Is that yeah. right? It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a it, carcinogen. It's a poison. Right. Gross. Yeah. Um, and yet here people do it all the time. So when you are working in a group, I think that's awesome. And so do you do individual work or do you do more group? Oh, I do. I do do one-on-one coaching. Uh Um, I, yeah, definitely. Because in my job now, so I work as a nurse for corporate health and wellness and do preventative uh, health screenings and we do preventative um, care and chronic disease management. Mm -hmm. And, And I do health coaching as well. And so, yes, I do. <laughs> so then I kind of bring that to my one-on-one coaching for um, alcohol tipping point, too. Excellent. And throughout this period, what would you say the biggest impact COVID had on the folks that you worked with, also in the hospitals or at your work and also through alcohol tipping point? Well, if I was just going to say like personal impact for people was that isolation and that sure. lack of connection. Um, so I have found that people um, in the group just love being in a group and having connection. And they're just really, really looking for their people, their tribe, their right. people and people that get it because not everybody gets it. Um, and so I would say that's big. And, and so then in, in my work at the hospital too, I've, I've had a lot of people that are just like, I'm lonely mm-hmm. or, or I'm, I don't, you know, I, I'd like to have more friends. I want more of a social life. I want more of that. So I've noticed that. Um, and then, you know, we do know statistically now the rates of, of drinking and liver disease have gone up since the pandemic as well. Um, but also mental health has took a huge hit as well, too, and depression and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you work with young people or or adults? Oh, my population is, so I do corporate health and wellness. So we work with employers and their employees. Oh, okay. hmm mm-hmm. That's a good question. Yeah. So we work with like teachers and healthcare workers and um, we have like a factory we work with. So we have some like blue collar workers. Yeah. So the working adult. Awesome. And so what do you think the biggest challenge for someone who is sober curious these days based on your experience? I, th- I think the biggest challenge is finding people that get it. I think, you know, like I was talking about before, you know, when you fall, you, when you fall into like an extreme, 
there's a lot of help for you mm-hmm. in the extreme area. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. there's the quote unquote normal drinker, although I really don't know that that exists, right? right? But it's the in-between where it's hard to figure out where you fit in and who, like I said, like who your people are and who gets it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is a big challenge for people. Um, and then I think the other biggest challenge and it's challenge for everybody is just um, stress and anxiety and managing that without drinking. Mm-hmm. Yes especially at the tail end, hopefully, at, of the pandemic. And what is next for Alcohol Tipping Point and for you? Can I, I do. That? You're going to ask that. Of course that. you did. Because <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, go get them, girl. Come on. Um, I'm so excited. So I'm going to do, uh, we have our first retreat. And just, again, talking about connection and Mm -hmm. um, people wanting to get together with other like-minded people. So I'm looking to do more retreats. And I I think other people are are wanting to get out there now, too. You know, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. you're sober or sober curious um, or alcohol-free or whatever, you're like, okay, what's next? Right. How can I go experience life with a group of like-minded people? Here we are in Idaho, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, my gosh, my latest thought, my latest <laughs> rabbit hole is like, I would love to do like a dry river rafting trip retreat. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And when are you targeting that? Next summer. Okay. I'm looking at that. Right. Yeah, within the next couple summers. So. I'm, I'm looking to do that. I'm looking to have more fun. Like I said, it's like, okay, how can we make this more fun? This doesn't have to be awful. Right. Like, it can be great. You know, I didn't just get sober to get sober. Like, right. I want to get out there and live. Um, so I have that. I'm going to do a, a mindfulness course because I found, like, mindfulness and, and teach more about it because mm-hmm. I found that the concepts of mindfulness have been so helpful for me and for other people, it's something that I've been teaching in our hospital as well to healthcare workers who mm-hmm. really need it right now. Um, and then looking into a membership for our continued friends that join. Shout out to you all if you're listening. Awesome. I love you all so much. And then, yeah, keep running those alcohol holidays because I think they're so important. I just think people need a, a place to go to if they want to take a break just in a in a soft um supporting environment i think that's so beautiful because there's so much shit that swirls around the terms addiction and are you being sober and what's it like to be in recovery you avoid those that those words which i think is really amazing because it's alcohol free which can mean i mean just that does that mean being sober? Well, it depends on who you ask. Yes, and being in recovery. So, what do you think about those lang- those terms? Yeah, those. I I just think language is so interesting and right. powerful, and I get why people um, want to choose how they identify themselves. So, I I don't use the term alcoholic. Um, I also recognize that, like, the medical community isn't using the term, you know, it's alcohol use disorder mm-hmm. and it runs from mild to moderate to right. severe. Right. Um, because I think that alcoholic uh, is is such a loaded term. Just like addict. 
right? I was just going to use that word. Yeah. 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 And it's, I mean, we don't do that with other medical conditions. Like if, because yeah, I work with people who have high blood pressure and I'm not like, you're a high blood pressure. I don't even know what it would be. I will say like people with diabetes, we -hmm. did used to use the term diabetic and we purposefully get away from that because that's not just who you are. Um, but I think it's a really personal thing. So for some people, it's helpful to call them an addict, call themselves mm-hmm. an addict, or call themselves an alcoholic, and and that's helpful for them. For me, I choose like alcohol free. I'm good with the term sober. I think a mm-hmm. lot of people in this kind of newer realm of modern recovery, right. we're using the word recovery. Um, <laughs> I think a lot of people don't even like to use the term sober. I I I kind of I like it. I mm-hmm. I just feel like it's a nice soft word and I'm okay with it. Um oh recovery. Uh so that's another interesting word too cuz mm-hmm. I think I would never introduce myself as someone in recovery. But I also think because there's a stigma attached to it, like, oh, that must mean you are in treatment, you are inpatient or whatever. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, the more I read about it, I'm like, but it is a very empowering word as well, you know, about transformation and healing. Right. And so that's when I'm still like, hmm, what do I think about the word recovery? Um, so I'm still, like, pondering it. It's an interesting thing because as over time things change and and I think the biggest thing we want to do in this world in our worlds is really to reduce that stigma and it starts with ourselves like you use gentle words like well I like alcohol-free badass right (laughs) I think that's empowering right alcohol-free sober whatever you choose that you can identify that helps you stay in this in this process of well-being, right, and self-discovery and transformation. So beyond alcohol tipping point, what else is there for you? What what would you ideally want when you do all these kinds of these adventures and rafting? What else is what else would you like to see happen mm. for you in this world? In the world of Alcohol freedom? Alcohol freedom. Oh, I dig that. Alcohol freedom. Um, I know. I was just thinking, like, can we call it, like, a realm or a land? Or we've <laughs> just made you a want, world, a like a Star Wars world. <laughs> know, why not? Um, Galaxy. I want to think about that because I like word puns. Um, mm-hmm. In this world, oh, gosh. I just think I'm really... I'm passionate about educating, uh, especially coming from healthcare. So sure. I really want to get the facts out about alcohol and its effects on your health. And just, you know, reiterating some things that have come out, like from the World Health Organization, the American Heart Federation, that like no amount of alcohol is safe for you. Right. I mean, the American Cancer Society is like, mm, none. Like zero. Yeah. Like one glass a day, still bad. 
Exactly. And mm-hmm. I so I'm really passionate about changing that messaging, which is slowly changing. You know, it's it, I, I guess it's kind of like with smoking. I mean, doctors yes. used to smoke. And... <laughs> yep, <laughs> they sure do. Yeah, <laughs> I get that one. Yes. Yeah. Um, so so really, because I think with that becomes it becomes more of a health and wellness conversation than something is wrong with you. Oh yeah, and and so that that is important to me. It's also important to me to for people to know, like you don't have to have a drinking problem to have to quit drinking. That's important. Yeah, and you don't have to experience shame to want to stop. Right. You know, and you can do less, but the sober curious is really about practicing not drinking. And it yeah. is a practice, right? It's not a perfect, yep. which is really important because we want to avoid shame and guilt and all that other bullshit that comes around with that effort and that process, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I, I like to say is like if someone goes from like drinking 26 days a month to three days a month, that's something that should be celebrated Absolutely. and not shamed to zero. Right. I mean, this this idea of perfectionism uh, really keeps people stuck. So I'm, if you are cutting back, good for you. If you are taking breaks, good for you. If you're giving it up, good for you. Like, I mean, good for you. That's great. Right. right. I mean, all of these things are a win. Mm-hmm. Right? If you're thinking about it, you know, the stages of change and motivational interviewing in terms of I'm contemplating, I'm in the pre-contemplative stage, or I'm taking action or maintaining, you just have to start where you are. And if you're beginning to explore or question like like you did at the beginning, like, is this good for me? You know, and it's just asking the question, do I want to feel better? Mm-hmm. Instead of waking up feeling like dog shit, you know, first of all, it's like feeling better. Second of all is how do I want to feel better more, right? And what can I do to replace the desire or the craving to do something that's actually not good for me, right? There's a lot to navigate, mm-hmm. you know, and so for alcohol tipping point and for you to offer these resources, I think that's amazing. How can people reach you? Well, I have a website, alcoholtippingpoint.com. I'm on Instagram. It's alcoholtippingpoint. And I have a podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, Alcohol Tipping Point. And yeah, and, and it's just me. So it's a one woman show. <laughs> yeah. Feel free to like email me. It's deb at alcoholtippingpoint.com. Um, yeah, so many ways. And I have a lot of free resources, too. I have a 10-day break that's free, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like a free dry guide. I have mocktail recipes. I um, Yeah, so I just, I, wanna, I want you to be successful. I don't care how you do it, what you do, if you give it up forever or a day or a week or a month or whatever. Like, I, I just, I'm rooting for you. I love that. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here and thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. 
This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.